Today's episode of Everything Remade is sponsored by Snag. Snag's latest album, Death Doula, is a Scrams album about finding beginnings amid mass death and the unfolding end of life as we know it. Death Doula is available wherever you listen to music. Now on to the show. Welcome to Everything Remade, a podcast that I hope is about growth as much as it is about music. I'm Edie Quinn, and I'd like you to hear something. You're hearing Sweet Sis Teen by Daisy and the Scouts, featuring my pal Otto Clammer on bass and vocals. The album's just been re-released by Get Better Records, so go on over to the site and pick yourself up a copy now. childhood memory that comes to mind for me as far as the earliest one is actually probably new year's eve 2000 like nine like 1999 new year's eve like yk all that uh-huh. um, <laughs> uh well i mean i don't obviously i was like four years old so i don't really remember at the time knowing about any computer funny business or anything like that but yeah it's one of my earliest memories as a child and i think it stands out because we never did any kind of new year's eve party at my house but for some reason that year we did um there was like mad people over my house my cousin my my aunts uncles so yeah and i I remember actually i've been i talked to my sister about this recently and uh she's older than me so she (laughs) she actually told me she confesses to running up the stairs like five minutes after midnight and <laughs> looking at the beige like gateway computer that my parents had and like checking <laughs> everything was okay. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. on, on that particular New Year's Eve, I was on tour um, in a band that I was playing in and we had just played a brand new venue called Mr. Roboto Project. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we left the venue because we had a very long drive to get to the show the next day. So we left the venue. It wasn't quite mid- midnight yet. We were literally driving down the the streets in Pittsburgh at midnight. 
and there were people on the side of the road like getting naked and, and wild <laughs> shit like that. Um, yeah, it sounds like. And I was driving, so ever. yeah, everybody's like, "Oh my god, there's naked people over there!" I can't look. I'm driving, you know. Yeah, of like, course. Yeah, 1999, but you know, yeah, no, everybody's computers were fine when we got home, and you know, the world yep. didn't end, and <laughs> but that was a bad tour for us. But I digress. Uh, Interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's that's funny though. Um, yeah, th- like it. I don't know. Um, what a what a like weird, super weird like time to be alive like like yeah mm, not just then but i mean since then really and since a lot of things but anyway um yeah yeah uh so um your sister was really worried about the computer was this like what was going on on the computer that that your sister (laughs) was so invested in i i wish i knew i mean when i think about it i mean at the time she must have been god like maybe just hitting like 13 and stuff so who who the hell knows what she was doing on the internet yeah yeah. it's like (laughs) i don't even you know we probably had the cheapest one you could get like you know who knows yeah aol chat rooms but uh probably probably you know my my dad is the kind of guy who probably uh you know was hearing about what was going on in the news and might have uh kind of uh made my sister a little anxious because you know she was she was still a child and yeah you, you, you tend to uh you know yeah with for your sure. lack of with your lack of like knowledge of the world you tend to run with whatever information is given to you yeah yeah so you've been playing in bands and working in audio engineering for like quite a while now um where did your love of music like initially come from is there like a a person in your life or people in your lives like were your parents really in interested in music listening to music around the house or did this come from outside sources i mean definitely definitely a bit of both you know my my parent like nobody really in my family's a musician um but my parents definitely really love music and always was playing it in the house and in the car and stuff um yeah, and would like, I think that I honestly, they like really picked up on the fact that I just had some kind of musical ear and encouraged it. I'm really, really lucky in that regard that my, you know, I think it started, I mean, really like my, my mom and her mom used to sing in like church choir and stuff like that. So they were always doing that as far as like musicianship. And so definitely I kind of get it from that side. And, you know, my mom, I guess, would always just, like, sing songs with me when I was a kid, and, yeah, I think she just heard really early on that I just, like, enjoyed it very much, Um, and so it kind of became a thing once I got old enough, like, I feel like I literally went through puberty and asked my mom for a guitar, like, that's kind of, like, how it went for me, (laughs) Um, cause before, before that, like around, before around age 13, I wasn't really like serious about music or anything like that. But then I got pretty much a hundred percent serious about it. Like once I had discovered this, like 
old beat up guitar that I think they used to use at mom's church. Like, <laughs> um, and I, yeah, it was, just, and then I started fucking around with that and, uh, yeah, from then it was just kind of like, all right, this is, this is what it is, you know? Yeah. What, um, what kind of guitar was it? Do you remember? Yeah, it's this, um, I want to say it's maybe a Kent, like nylon string guitar. Oh, okay. It's like really, really old. And yeah, I don't, I don't even know how it got in the possession of my mom. I think maybe they like, you know, uh, used it as accompaniment in the church and then they just got stuck with it. Like, who knows? Like, yeah. If you say fucking around with it, like what are, what were your instincts like with this guitar? Like when you first pick it up and is it just like trying, were you trying to like figure out like what to do with it or were you just like enjoying whatever sounds you could make at the time? I think I was enjoying whatever sounds I could make at the time to be, to be honest. Yeah. Cause I remember like, I remember like first picking it up before I had even really tuned it. It like whatever, you know, whatever the strings were open, they were probably like all over the place. Yeah, but sure. when I, when I, when I did them in order, it immediately sounded kind of like a, a melody. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think I just kind of like, you know, without tuning it, without like knowing what's up, just, you know, I, I think, I think, t- I think maybe that's like kind of the, <laughs> the thing I still do is like take something that really isn't, uh, like I kind of find joy in like taking something that isn't really, uh, it's kind of in pieces and shambles and then doing what you can <laughs> yeah. to make it sound okay, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I've come to this really weird, like, I used to think that you should write a song in a very linear way, and I've come to this real weird, like, throw everything on the floor and just start pushing yeah. things around, you know, like, kind of, kind of way, like, um, like, I'll, yeah. just, I'll just be like, oh, I got this cool, you know, I got this cool beat, but also I have, like, one guitar part. And I know they don't go next to each other, so I'll just wing it, and then mm-hmm. later I'll, you know, I'll I'll figure the rest out. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's really interesting. Like I, I'm I'm finding more and more like people's initial like contact with um, the musical instruments. Like I'm finding it really interesting. Like based on somebody's first like what did you want to get out yeah. of it like and how it's informed like the way that they approach music like it's, it's not always obviously um the same but i find it interesting to see like where that started and where people are at now um i take totally eventually like you did you know you figured out like um I want to use this to make music of my own, or I want to be able to figure out how to play the songs that I like. Like, right. how did you go from just grabbing it and trying to make cool sounds to 
getting to a point where you could do any of those things? Like, um, did you take any lessons or were you like picking up tabs um, from somewhere? Yeah, I definitely started just kind of like online, like with as much, you know, search engine power as I had at the time. And uh, eventually I I took lessons for a little while. I took guitar lessons. Um, And then, yeah, I kind of, I kind of like uh, got a little bored of them at some point, to be honest, or I I didn't really have interest in, uh, you know, learning like the root notes and the chordal notes of a Spanish Lydian scale or something like that. So at some point I was just like, I got what I needed out of this. Thank you. Um, (laughs) And then, um, yeah, so that would age me around like middle school at the time. And then what really, yeah, like you said, like made it kind of that transition of, okay, now I want to accompany myself and I want to like play I want to know how to play the song or whatever. I actually ended up going to a performing arts high school and in New York, like you have to kind of like take tests while you're in eighth grade and they they kind of like place you (laughs) in different places based on like your grades and all that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, that was kind of like game changing for me, honestly, like, I remember I auditioned for, I had to, like, everybody has to audition for this performing arts school because it is a public school. But, um, yeah, they just have limited seats, I guess, you know. Mm. So I got in and I forget what I sang. I wish I could remember. But anyway, um, (laughs) maybe it'll come to me. But yeah, I, I got in just singing a song and, uh, yeah, that was, and then from there on, it was just like I was in some kind of formal music education. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And is that where you started learning? Like, were you were you learning guitar specifically? You were, or was this just a broad education, like broad musical education? Broad musical education, um, they did split you up. Like if you, you know, they had all kinds of disciplines. So you can go there for dance, theater, tech, art, like visual art. And if you were music, you were split up into like singing and whatever your instrument was. Okay. Um, and so I was, yeah, I was split up as like a vocalist. Um, but, you know, eventually, eventually down the line, I got to kind of like, play a little more guitar like actually in school because I, eventually I got to the point where I could accompany myself you know what I mean and you know would be doing like sometimes there was like the uh, elective classes that were like songwriting or things like that oh, okay yeah and when you say accompany yourself you do you specifically mean like playing and singing at the same time mm-hmm okay. yeah okay and like, what kind of, like, what did the education, what did this look like? Was it mostly practice or mostly paperwork or I imagine a, a bit of both? Yeah, totally. Honestly, a whole lot of practice now that I think about it. Like, you know, the you would, you'd get there in the morning, have your like homeroom or whatever 
have your math class, have your whatever the fuck. And um, then you'd have like, you know, your choir class or your music, music history class or your, uh, I think we did music theory. I can't remember if that was like a separate class um, or not. Yeah, I can't quite remember. But, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. And how much, uh, how much do you think this informed like the way you would approach music for kind of like the rest of your life? Do you think it's, it, it was something that you, you took what you needed from it and left what you didn't? Or was it, is it, do you consider it like a bedrock of the way that you listen to things and, and, and absorb sounds? I think, I think I do kind of consider it, I mean, it's definitely part of the bedrock, you know, because mm -hmm. I feel like uh, when it, when I think about things I actually do now and the way I actually listen now, a lot of that is honestly just influenced by the way I feel like I've always listened to music, like like records, like, mm -hmm. you know. I definitely uh, wasn't a huge fan of classical music, and I still kind of am not, but that's mostly what I was doing in high school. Um, and like, yeah, I don't know. Sometimes I think what I do now with like synthesis definitely harkens back to some of my knowledge with classical stuff. Um, just cause it's a lot of like voice leading. And when you're dealing with oscillators with different voices, it's kind of the same. It all comes from the same, like, uh, framework, I guess. But, uh, yeah, yeah, it's definitely part of it. Um, I, I, to this day, if I hear a choir that's like really, really good on point, I will want to cry. Like, it's just <laughs> emo like it's emotional. Yeah. 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 Um, how do you go from all of this, like technical school involvement type, um, let's just say training. Cause I don't, I can't think of a, a education training or whatever. Um, sure. To, like your involvement in like basically punk bands. Um, what did you find any of that jarring or was it just like, it's just so part a and part B that you just, it's, it's compartmentalized and you just know how to work each situation. Yeah, no, it's totally compartmentalized. And I mean, it's all blended together for me, honestly, because, you know, I definitely remember starting to kind of get into my own taste and like discovering bands and stuff around the same time that I was just picking up guitar and stuff. And when I eventually when I got to high school and eventually made <laughs> eventually made friends, um, they happened to be the friends that also felt like they were too weird to even be in an art school. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, and like we, I, I, I started a band with a friend of mine from high school and, uh, yeah, I don't know. And just in general, I like, I basically have been playing in bands and going to shows since, since then. Um, New York, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of places for teenagers to like fuck around and have a show in a rehearsal space. So, you know, that's what, that's what I was doing when I wasn't singing, uh, <laughs> Bach and shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, but you said your first band was with someone from the school. Um, yeah. Was, was it like all people from the school or? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. It was all people from the school. Yeah. And um, you said like you were at that point, you were already like playing shows uh, at, at spots around town and stuff. Once I got to maybe like 16 or so. Okay. A little bit. Yeah. Like not obviously immediately. Cause it definitely, definitely took me a while to uh, find my people um, yeah. as it often does. Yeah, for sure. So I'm, yeah, that was, that was a little bit later on. Yeah. I feel like that. I mean, that never, it never ends, you know, like yeah. you're always, that's the way life is, I guess. Um, but yeah, so you were doing performances like at school, I'm assuming. Yep. And yeah. And you have you have a band and you're doing performances in like the, the punk scene, as it were. What what how did each one of those things make you feel in like um, they're, they're completely different experiences, obviously, but it's the same act of performing. Like what right. did you get out of each thing? It's a good question. Like to think about them like side by side. Um, you know, I think, I think the performances that I had for school, I, I think I looked forward to them because they were definitely something like, I don't know. You definitely like put a lot more like I, I remember like the way shows would work, like choral concerts and stuff would work at our school would be like, you know, they'd hop in. There'd be one for like the fall and then one at the end of the year. And the one at the end of the year, you probably like prepped something crazy, like something, some huge piece of music. And I remember always just feeling like it was a like the closest I'll ever feel it to, uh, sorry, tripping on my words, but the closest I'll ever <laughs> feel to me, what I would think an athlete feels like after to run a marathon. <laughs> like I've never done, I've never done like sports. I'm not a stamina person or anything like that, but yeah, that's the closest thing I have to describe that kind of experience to for me, at least it, like it feels like once it feels like the star is just kind of a line and then you're, either in the we had like a auditorium kind of space but then sometimes we would like for the big choral events we'd actually sing at like riverside church or something like that um which is like you would just you it would just feel like bigger than you you know what i mean like um and i think too hearing how acoustics like influenced the music and how sometimes, like, you know, you'd learn, too, like, how the acoustics of the, the churches and the spaces they were in when they were writing the music, like, in medieval time, that always just, like, like it fascinated me. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, and then, and, then the, and then the punk shows and all that kind of stuff, that felt, like, validating. Like that felt like I had finally found like a music scene that I actually, you know, thought to myself, like, 
yeah, like this is it. Yeah. Um, I had never any interest in like pursuing a career in classical music or anything like that. Um, I just kind of used it as an excuse to, yeah, to like meet these kids that I wanted to play music with, you know, kind of yeah. like that. thinking like yeah there's got to be some aspect of the like choral performances that feels uh competitive and 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 like you know you 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 definitely did sort of imply that with the comment you made about like the uh the the runners high or whatever like like there's I mean, sure. Like when you're gonna play a show with your with your punk band, you're you know you practice and you you know you make sure that you got your songs the best that you can and stuff. But you're you know that you're playing like just to to play your best for yourself yeah. and for you know the people listening. Whereas like in a in a in a choral thing, like even if it's not a competition, it it has to feel in some way like you're, you know, um, now I'm not sure if you were graded on those things specifically, but just that you have to perform up to some certain level or else, I don't know, you know, so it, yeah. I would imagine it felt, a, you know, a bit more competitive and, um, yeah, I could see how either one of those things would be, uh, exhilarating in their, in their, you know, own way. Of course, I, I've only just done the punk, you know, the punk stuff. I've never, um, yeah. I, mean, I don't know. I was in spelling bees and stuff when I was a kid. And I, I guess <laughs> I was good at that, but, uh, you know, nice. that's a, a different thing, I guess. Um, but yeah. Um, so like, you know, you, <clears throat> you started playing in bands and, and everything like that. And, um, you know, I, you, we were talking about like uh guitar uh, up till this point um yep were you like and i'm assuming we mean six string guitar um mostly but yeah but i mostly know you as a bass player did you play bass in the, now the bands that people were probably know you from the most would be dump him and daisy and the scouts like you played bass in both those bands right yeah okay yeah um when did you start playing bass like along with guitar was was that sort of something that you uh gravitated towards because that's what the bands needed or was that something you gravitated towards on your own a little bit of both actually like okay. 
I kind of like, you know, back to kind of what I was saying when I took lessons very briefly, like there was always kind of like a, a, a threshold that I had with guitar of, of interest, like a threshold of interest, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I never cared to like progress past like what I wanted to use it for, which was, you know, to accompany myself singing and to kind of figure out like song structure, like writing chords, uh, you know, and stuff like that. And, and yeah, and I, I eventually like, I, I actually started messing around with bass cause I thought to myself, I don't think I'm ever going to be like a guitar player in a band, you know what I mean? Unless it was like rhythm guitar. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of wanted to just like be able to be a little more like versatile. Um, but I didn't really, I, I didn't play bass in a band until Daisy and the Scouts when, and that was not until I got to college. So yeah, I kind of just like did it for myself for a while just to, just to feel it out. And, you know, based on what you're saying, like, <coughs> excuse me, um, at this point, it seems like the instrument resonates with you, like, more so than guitar or anything. Um, yeah. Uh, why do you think that is exactly? I think I have a something with rhythm, mm-hmm. um, to be honest. Like, it's something about... For me, it's like I eventually like realized I loved I loved music that had heavy bass. I loved particular songs that had great bass lines. And the more I learned about music, like uh, like technically, and I think also too from like singing in choir, like uh, I don't know, like you just like realize how much bass matters mm-hmm. <laughs> and um and I liked that and I liked also from you know I, I like performing and I like having eyes on me but I don't know if I ever really super super love being the center of attention mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's a little bit easier to uh I don't know kind of be in your own little groove pocket <laughs> you know what I mean like when you're playing bass yeah and yeah. it's, yeah, it's just, there's something, um, as a vocalist, there's something that feels more like it's got my back. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've, I've come to look at bass as like the, the bass is the actual song and yeah, guitar yeah. is just like fucking screwing around. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, when I, when I like, when it, when it boils down to like the last however many songs that I've recorded or whatever, and I'm like really listening back, I and the guitar is just like is just mute, like it's just like muting harmonics for like four whole measures or something. <laughs> like, and the bass is like carrying the whole song. Then you're like, right? I really like to write just like a melody and then just ignore it like completely just like just over here fucking around making noises being obnoxious while the bass yeah like keeps everything in line you know and uh and makes the song worth listening to Um, yeah but i I know you know you need the other stuff too 
you know, because it's 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 got to there's got to be wild shit going on or else like, yeah, you, you know, you can't um, always necessarily keep everyone's interest. So you need the other thing, too. But it's just yeah, it's I just been thinking so much about how like, yeah, the bass really is the song. It's it's the song and everything else is yes. like is uh help helping that or or adding to that or you know hopefully not detracting from that but um yeah um so uh you know one one thing that uh i really wanted to chat a lot about and uh we you know we touched about this before when we were like chatting off the off the record or whatever um is your experiences in audio engineering i know you've been to you've been to school for audio engineering correct yeah yeah i went to college right. uh with yeah where was that i went to i went to berkeley and did the uh music they call it mpne music production and engineering okay it's basic basically just an audio engineering program those are pretty uh huge credentials as far as I'm to understand. So, um, yeah, uh, <laughs> you've often expressed like, um, your, your frustration with like basically the overwhelming amount of like cis dude engineers and how for anyone other than that, like it's difficult to be taken seriously and things like that. But, the fact of the matter is like everyone who has you work for them has nothing but great things to say. So your work clearly speaks for itself. Um, what I wanted to chat about is like when I first got into recording myself and I have like no training whatsoever, just watching like dudes um, on YouTube, like mix horrible butt rock songs or country totally. songs, you know, like that's, <laughs> How is that it? That's all there is. It's like horrible butt rock songs or country. And you're like, what? Yeah. And they're always like, this is one of my own songs that I'm working on. And you're like, Geesh, this is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, <laughs> so like that's the that is the cap of my knowledge. And, you know, the thing is, like, I've been doing it for so long. A lot of times people that I get to know later they think that I know something that I don't like, and it's kind of embarrassing to be like, well, I don't really, I don't know that, you know? Um, I mean, you know, if it makes you feel any better, that happens to me all the time. <laughs> I mean, the, the thing is like, I'll eat shit every day. I don't care. You know what I mean? So I will say like, I don't know. That's not my thing, you know, or that's about sure, my favorite, yeah. you know? Um, but like, but, um, it, it it makes me wonder like is there just um are there just like some because you know everything is like what it sounds like to you don't do this don't do that like there's you know um every engineer will tell you a different hard set of do's don'ts you know or mm -hmm. whatever but having come from like a legit uh um educational background in this stuff like are there like actual 
building block, like do's and don'ts from the point of like setup to, um, to mix down, like what kinds of beginning advice could you give people who for the first time wanted to mic up a drum kit and record their own band? Sure. Sure. I mean, yeah, you know, this is, this is actually something I feel like it kind of was illuminated to me after I had completed the program at Berkeley, which is there really is very few hard do's and don'ts. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of things are based on circumstance, context, and all that kind of stuff. I would say like to someone like just wanting to get started, record their band, you know, don't basically don't <laughs> like steer, steer clear of, of forums basically <laughs> until, in, until you have a specific question, I would say, um, sp- forums are great for specific questions, meaning and specific questions, meaning literally like, how do I, like, what's the quickest way to do, like, to duplicate things in Pro Tools or whatever, like, something like that. Because mm-hmm. um, you're going to hear a lot of people say things like, don't mix in headphones, or, like, you know, don't record in an untreated room, which is just, you know. Yeah. I mean, I, it's been a while since I've seen, I think, you know, the longer I'm on online with this kind of stuff, the more I kind of see people thinking the same way, you know, like, and, and technology has gotten a, a lot better for at home music production. So what do you think the best, um, interfaces are that are out there for like four more tracks for the money? Oh, I got you. So yeah, like you're definitely going to need an interface. I constantly try to get people to buy interfaces when they tell me they just want to buy a USB mic and that's my toxic trait. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Um, USB mics can be great, but anyway, yeah. Interfaces. Motu makes really great interfaces. Um, like I have one or I, I actually just gave it to my buddy, but I had one for years that was a Motu eight pre. And that one is definitely a little pricier because you do get, eight and like you know analog preamps up in there mm-hmm. um but they but mo but motu and focus right i would say are really reliable from and i i use them like i still have i use a focus right um as my main like ada you know mm-hmm. and uh you know i i like i like those because as far as, cause I've switched off from being a Mac and a PC user and, um, yeah, I would definitely uh, recommend those two just for anyone starting out for sure. Right. Cause they, like I said, I still, I still use them. Like they're just good. <laughs> they don't, they don't let me down. Yeah. Yeah. I've got this, I've got this old fire pod that I've had for years now. Um, and, uh, nice. I, I really need to replace it. Two of the inputs are noisy as hell, but it's just kind of out of nowhere. But, um, yeah, but, um, anyway, um, when I first got started, I got like, my partner bought me a sure drum mic kit, which was like, I mean, it's, it's 
six mics and they're all like, you know, I'm sure they're like low end of quality or whatever, but they're low end of quality for sure. So like they're pretty good. Right. Um, and it was like $200 for six mics. It was two fifty, I believe. And, um, yeah, you can't, I, I, they do not make that particular kit anymore. Are you aware of any kinds of like mic bundles that, uh, that are out there now that are worth looking into? Yeah, actually I was going to say, I'm look. I want to actually, cause I love Audix mics okay, and they yeah. do, they do make a, a kit. Um, that one, yeah, that one's definitely maybe a little mid range as far as like more affordable, um, look on eBay for like CAD mics. Honestly, some of them kind of slap. <laughs> yeah like you'll you'll see them and be like really but i'm like no really like they're fine like they're gonna be fine you know yeah i actually and, have yeah. a, a cad that someone uh someone left here when they when we were recording an old band it's a a bass drum mic and i've mm -hmm. i've never had any complaints about the sure uh that i use in the kick drum um but I've always been like, I should just plug that other one in one time and do do a session and see what I think of the difference, you know? Right, um, right. But yeah, Audix is, uh, there's one of those Audix that people argue about a lot about whether yeah. they are, uh, whether they're superior or inferior to the uh, SM57. Oh, yeah. Um, the particular. The, I think it's. The D6, if you're talking about the one for like that people generally use on kick. Oh no, I um I I moved to uh, the comparisons that it gets. One of their mics gets to a um, the uh, SM57. Oh, oh 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 yeah um yeah I'm looking actually I'm looking at, I just pulled up their their package. It's probably one of the ones yeah that they use for the snare, which they call I guess the D. Two, if okay. I'm not mistaken, something like that. Um, actually, they have a cheaper one now, the F series. Hmm. But anyway, yeah. Um, you know, I was with when it comes to like 57s, 58s. Like another thing, honestly, that I would recommend to people is like sometimes you can get a really good deal on like a bundle of those, and like honestly, that's pretty. Like if you have a bunch of sure 58s, 57s and you use them for your toms and snare, you know, at least, at least, you know what you're getting. Like that's going to be a consistent result. You know, mm -hmm. that's, that's a great place to start too. Um, so yeah, you know, nothing, uh, at the end of the day, it's like, if you're, I, I don't pull hairs over like what I'm using as far as microphones. Like I feel like I, definitely have my preferences and you know again too like sometimes you just kind of have to work with what you got like to this day yeah. um i feel like sometimes i still kind of have to work with what i got you know i'm not uh selling platinum records or anything like that <laughs> right, right. yeah it's and um yeah
other day, you said this is the first time I've ever actually intentionally wound up with a 58. And um, yeah. I'm just like, I never related to anything so hard. Like I, I am looking at one right now that I'm just like, how I don't even know how I got that. I don't, uh, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it, was in a, it was in a case of like, I mean, I think I know, but um, I don't know. Uh, yeah, they've all just appeared. I bought one the other day because I, it's uh, you know, I'm pl- playing a show soon. So I just wanted one that wasn't touched by anyone's lips. <laughs> of course, yeah, yeah. It's like, and they're like indestructible. That's how they wind up everywhere because yes. they just like they're indestructible. Unlike, unlike fifty sevens, which, um, yeah, I don't know. I've, I, I don't know. I used to be much better about not hitting the 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 mics when i would play the drums but, um, that's another thing that's a really 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 important thing you just said like i know of a engineer i mean they've posted this on their instagram so it's like a a, a very uh self-aware public. joke public yeah. thing um like label maker that says $1,400 on the mic above the Tom. <laughs> and so, so the drummer knows, you know, be careful. But for me, I'm, I'm kind of somewhere in between with that mentality. Like I've learned over the years that a, a, a really particular microphone on the Tom is going to save you a lot of grief later. But I think there's somewhere in in the middle to be, you know, I, I do think that there's an element of thinking about utility and longevity with your gear as much as like the quality of it to start with, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's definitely like another kind of like big point. I would love, I would love people to kind of like hear and, you know, if that quells any anxiety with like, uh, gear insecurity you know mm-hmm. i'd rather i'd rather have something that could that could be hit a couple times and not break and i just lost fourteen hundred dollars you know oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah for sure yeah i mean um replacing a re- replacing a an sm57 for ninety dollars is unfortunate but like having you know some uh some blue ribbon you know <laughs> like, um Getting batted around, batted around somewhere would be a, ver- a very bad idea. Um, yeah, there was like some. I was on tour once, and someone just started talking about uh, some mics that they had, and and uh, they were like some Sennheisers that were like three grand each, and I just was like, I need to leave this table right now. I can't. <laughs> like I I cannot fathom. Um, recording music with equipment that's that expensive, like um, knowing some of the things that, you know, have happened during recording. Yeah. Uh, but um, yeah. Um, so like as far as uh, setup goes, do you have um, hard, are there like hard, uh, hard, hard rules as far as like mic placements and stuff? Or is that also just um, kind of make make like figure out what sounds best to you? Because sure, I mean everybody knows this story about like well not everybody but it's a very famous story about the 
one microphone recording on John Bonham's drums on when the levee breaks or whatever. So like it can happen. It like however you sure. need to make it happen, it can happen. But if there was like a starting point, how would you tell someone set up your drum mics like this? You know, how sure. many how many fingers away from the head where are we aiming the uh where are we aiming the mics, etc. Sure. So you know, something that's kind of helpful going into recording drums specifically is to know the biggest challenge with drums is phase issues. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so the hard and fast like rules, I would say, would be you have to like you kind of have to you have to measure your overheads if you don't want things out of phase um that's it and that's if you're using you know a stereo configuration mm -hmm. you know there goes there that's another whole separate conversation but just let's say you know to start out you are you're going to use an overhead left and overhead right you're going to just use two microphones for each you know like of the same that's kind of one very classic setup you know and you can make you can make a great drum track just from those two microphones, like just from that overhead setup where you have them above the kit. You know, I like to start, I actually will usually take the drummer's stick and put it above the bell of um, whatever symbol's lower. Like if they put their ride lower or the crash lower, however they kind of set it up, I'll take that stick and use that as my just like point A for that, that one overhead mic. And then set the other one up, you know, above the other symbol or kind of near it. If, if, if they have multiple symbols, you kind of like want to get the best of both worlds. You know, mm -hmm. you kind of just like use your judgment a little bit with what the drum setup is in this configuration. And then you want to either choose what your middle, what the middle of the stereo image is. And you can choose either the kick or the snare, let's say, you know, because that's just. The, the majority of how music sounds, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, and I usually, I usually choose the snare, um, just cause, uh, I don't know. I just decide, I just decided that one day, literally. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm a snare head too. Like I, I, if something else is a little bit not there, nothing bothers me, but if the snare is not there, then I'm, I'm shook, you know, I'm not happy. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. And, you know, to be honest, like most of your most of your sound of the drum kit is in those overhead microphones. Most of your sound from the snare even is in those overhead microphones. When you put a direct microphone on a snare, that's just you're just capturing transients, you know, so don't be disheartened. You know, that that's the one thing too. Like, don't be disheartened if something sounds like shit when you solo it. <laughs> yeah, honestly, snare top never sounds good to me. I don't. Right. I, I've thought like, well, I'm, I I must be doing something wrong, but it just like never sounds good to me. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's 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 supposed to. It has a job. Like I said, every every microphone that you think about it this way too. Like every microphone that you add should have a job, rather than I need this to make it sound better. You know. That's why you can get a great sound with just two overhead mics. But then, you know, obviously 
that's not how most music sounds because <laughs> that's not how mo- most studio recordings are recorded anymore. So, you know, and then you get into, yeah, like you're, you know, over the years, you're going to have different choices for microphones for the rest of your kit. Um, for a lot of what I record for drums, I actually really like to use um, for overheads. I like to use octavas, which are a small diaphragm condenser mic. Um, some, when I was in school, I was told that a small capsule will be better at picking up transients than a large. I don't know if that's accurate, but it's, it's, it's worked out for me so far. Like when I decide, okay, I'm recording like a really, really fast thrashy kind of band and you know, it's going to be all about that, just trying to capture that. And, you know, but again, there's no hard and fast rules. That's just something that, like, one person said to me once. Um, and that being said, you know, then I'll think about, too, like, I will always put a room mic, um, and I'll always put a single microphone, you know, John Bonham style, actually. I'll put it, like, right in front and that'll be like the mono capture for me, um, right, right in the middle. Okay. Um, what are you looking for exactly out of out of a room mic? Because some people mm-hmm. want the full. Some people like are like, uh, which um, I'm not sure if this is exactly what you're saying. But some people are like, that's what the whole whole kit should sound like. But some people are like, this we actually call it the room make because we literally want just the sound of the room, like Mm -hmm. with the drums in it, you know, but what you're talking about before, like not everybody can have a room that's treated and everything. So if you're using a room mic in that kind of situation, you, you, you might just be wasting your time because the sound of your room is not good necessarily. So what, what are you looking for specifically out of your room mic? That's a good point, you know, and to that I would say definitely try it anyway. Like if you have the the available inputs and microphones, like mm-hmm. d- try it anyway. Your room might not sound good that great, but um, you'll still like the way you get that nice natural decay from the drums sure. by, you know, cause when, when you're seeing a show, you're not, you're not, ideally you're not standing two feet from the drummer. You're standing away from it. That's how we experience, uh, you know, somebody playing drums. So mm-hmm. it's a pretty, it's a pretty critical in my opinion, kind of component of it. And mm-hmm. it's not so much even for the room sound, um, in that scenario. But then of course, if you are in a beautiful room and depending on like one time when I was recording seed, we did it in an auditorium and that was the whole like point. We wanted it to sound doomsday. Like we wanted there to be a huge decay with the drums, with every hit, you know? Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. Now let me ask you a controversial question. Sure. (laughs) When you mix the drums, do you do it from drummer point of view or from audience point of view? Audience. Okay, so do I. But like, <laughs> this is a, I said controversial. That was like so, just like that was such bait. But like, if you 
are on an audio forum for long enough, like you could see oh, yeah. that's legitimately a controversial question. Just like no, some, I know some people are so up in arms about that. It's like, what are you talking about? You do it from audience point of view. I'm like, look, yeah, I, I am a drummer, and I I mix from audience point of view. Like it, I I listen to way more bands than I drum in, so that's just right. It sounds right to me, you know. Um, yeah, like I don't know. Yeah, it's just it's just a preference, you know, and I think it's a it's a very subtle way of adding your own personality because it's one of those things that actually really doesn't fucking matter. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um and so for me it's like I'm not a drummer and I like that my records you know and, and I'll always I'll usually ask to be honest like mm-hmm. if somebody has a preference. Um so, you know, if 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 the preference is drummer's perspective, I'll, I'll do it that way. But, um, I just naturally will always make it audience because that's just how I, yeah, that's how I experience it, I guess. I think it's, I think it's kind of wild. Like, you know, uh, I, I can't remember specifically like what I was listening to, but then I was like just listening to something and I was just like, holy shit, wait, is this drummer left-handed or did they just, mix the drum that way because like i think yeah if if there was uh if 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 someone if i ever did record a band where the drummer was left-handed like i'd mix it the same way and it would sound weird to me right because i'm used to the sounds coming from you know which whichever side but like i think that would make it that much more like like it would be a point of interest because the drummer is left-handed this is literally what the people hear when they yeah this is how the sounds like hit them and it makes the band more like unique in that in that way and and therefore it translates to the recording in the same way but i don't know that's that's like i digress but uh yeah 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 (laughs) yeah um as far as like guitars go how do you um, like assuming that you had as many mics to throw on a guitar ca- cab as you'd like, um, how many would you go for and where would you put the mics? Minimum two microphones for sure. Um, when with guitars, yeah, I like to, I'll typically try it out. Like depending on, um, you know, I'm trying to think like if it, if it has, if it's like a two by whatever kind of uh situation, I'll usually put different microphones on either speaker. And then if I'm not really satisfied, then maybe I'll try the, the same two microphones just together, like on top of each other, like on that one speaker, you know, I'll really, I'll really just kind of suss it out. Um, cause in my opinion, like just, it's just a lot more unpredictable. Like you have different combinations of things like different guitar going into a different amp, going into a different cab. So really just be playful is my, uh, vibe. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely, definitely minimum two microphones. And I do usually love the results of, um, like a good old 57. And, um, if I have it, a Royer 121, I don't actually own any because they're very expensive. <laughs> but that, uh when i is that a ribbon or yeah that's yeah, a ribbon okay. and and ribbons are you know ribbons are great for mellowing stuff out um which is why they're great 
neck like with that combination you know what i mean that's like the secret sauce really with guitars is like finding the good combination of microphones okay for the tone for the tone you're going for you know what i mean because you're never going to capture what you need just with one microphone on an amp like never um at least i've found like it's it's been extremely hard when i've tried (laughs) yeah there's there was an interesting technique that like i heard someone talking about like one mic is for the bark and one mic is for the bite like it, eh, it's, sure that's too many rules for my brain but like, whatever <laughs> helps you yeah yeah i mean it was just like it was just like yeah you want like the force of the guitar to come through one and you want the like i don't know is it, it was a it was yeah a complicated way of trying to describe like you want the low end like presence to be uh one mic and you want the um the uh tonal like clarity or whatever to be in the other like totally um, yeah but um <clears throat> when you said um that the ribbon mic mellows it out are, are we talking about like kind of like this a similar thing to like um like like trimming the high the highest highs in in the frequency or is it just a totally different basically yeah yeah they'll be much more um sensitive to those things kind of in the middle Mm -hmm. um you know it's 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 why like you would always see uh you know big big old ribbon microphones or big old tube microphones uh on the horn section or on the lead vocal like back in the day you know what i mean yeah um where it's like you didn't want it to be that sensitive like they're definitely sensitive microphones don't get me wrong like don't get it like that misconstrued but yeah definitely when it comes to the high end yeah yeah um and what kind of like you know, there's a lot of uh, discussion as well about how you aim the microphone. Are you aiming them dead in the, the middle of the cone, or are you aiming them uh, at, at an angle? To to you know, what what is your mm-hmm. placement look like? I usually don't do. I usually don't go for right in the middle, um, unless you know. Again, I'm just unhappy with the sound, and I just kind of move it around until I am happy. But generally, I find, you know, people who make loudspeakers are very concerned about the material they're using for a cone. And so generally, I like to hit it right in the middle. I do like to have that resonance. I like to be kind of pointing at where it would be resonating on the cone, which is like slightly to the left or right of the center, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think... I. I think with bass guitar, a lot of people are doing like DI or, or direct line mm. in. Um, what are your experiences with that? Do you still try to get like one on the cab and one in like, or do you, or do you just go straight for a DI? So funny enough, when I was at Berkeley and I had access to like insanely expensive equipment that I literally probably won't ever have access to again. <laughs> I would actually just reach for this um, DI, this like, I think they're, is it Avalon? Am I getting that correct? Hang on. That is definitely Avalon. the name of one I've looked at. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, the like one of the like you know Avalon U five. Yeah, that's it. Um, I would always just you know, especially because when you're in school, you're like down to the wire as far as time goes. So you just need to like, if it's one less thing to set up, perfect. And that honestly, especially for when it wasn't like a punk band or whatever, like or something where they would be using pedals and distortion, that would be great. If you have a really great DI excellent use it you know who cares um honestly i love like i i I always 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 use the bass di recording even if i also mic it like i will usually use both but the di is like i don't know it's so the sound of what most it's just like what most people do honestly and so then when you don't do it it's like Oh, this sounds kind of off and like the bass is super not present. It really, it really just makes you make, have a lot more flexibility mm-hmm. with whoever's mixing it, to be honest. Mm-hmm. That, I think that's like the kind of thing with bass is like you're kind of always thinking about the post production after like somebody has to mix this and getting your low end right is always a little bit frustrating if you know you didn't make these choices when you recorded you want to have yeah. options yeah yeah i i i don't record other bands uh very often but one time that i did definitely the bassist wanted to uh, was very firm about using the sound coming out of the cabinet and i had sure really, yeah i mean it's like it's it's tuned like so low and like the and the bass was just like there was no it was it was just all thunder and no punch you know and and right and i just had a really hard time like um making it present in the recording you know and um mm-hmm. and, and 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 not just like and not just like uh totally like recrafting the sound of it yeah, you know, like not just going. Well, you don't have any mid on your bass, but I'll just put some there anyway. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <coughs> so yeah, that the, yeah the flexibility of the DI is is yeah I think it's really the way to go. Um, for vocals, you know, uh, a lot of um, just like anything else, you know, we're we're just saying like mostly like uh, do do what you, you know do what you got to do and like whatever you can make work for you. But like, um, if you had your, your preference, what, what do you think the importance of like, um, soundproofing and, and like using like the smallest room you can find or et cetera, et cetera. Like, where would you start, uh, when it came to stuff like that? Sure. Um, you know, it's, one of those just kind of like hard facts of life like if (laughs) like if you're especially interested in mixing um you know it is it is really important to have at least some treatment in your room definitely enough to make the room dead you know what i mean you don't want weird resonances happening even when you like clap your hands you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and that's the classic thing like you know an audio like you can like it's i don't know i've heard it I've heard the joke referenced as like a, a novice, like a novice engineer walks into the room and claps their hands 
to like hear how it sounds. <laughs> mm-hmm. But you know, there's there's definitely truth to that. You know, um, you, you know, um, I there's a lot of resources for making your own acoustic panels. I, I did it myself. They work amazing. Um, I spent like not even like forty bucks on the materials, probably. Um, as far as recording goes, it's definitely, yeah, it's kind of, I kind of have the same, you know, thought process with it. It's like, depends on obviously what you're recording. Like if, like for vocals, you know, unless you're, re- unless you're recording uh, a mezzo soprano singing again, like some kind of aria or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, it's not as important to have the spaces dead, but typically for vocals, I will, like, I, I've thrown people in closets, you know, it really, it really changes the game, I think, with things like vocals, um, to have that kind of, like, soundproofing and deadening, um, but to be honest with you, like, I also really love Sonar, uh, work, Sound ID, headphone reference, it's a great, great tool, there are amazing calibration tools out there nowadays um and i use them all the time because i i you know i rent i can't make crazy changes to my to my quarters yeah um and i I hope that encourages people or you know encourages people to not get so discouraged about not being able to you know have a perfect acoustic space because uh yeah as far as listening goes there's definitely ways around it recording it's a little bit harder depending on what you're going for, but you know, yeah, things, there's a lot of possibilities. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, I know another thing that, uh, you know, that you're very, uh, into, which is, I feel like the learning curve on this is just as big as getting started doing your own recordings is, um, synthesizers. Like, um, I don't like uh, my partner wanted to get into them. So we bought a couple and we've played with them a bit. I have no idea what I am doing whatsoever. I just grab them. I I try to start having fun with them. I usually have fun and then I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, (laughs) What kind of advice could you give somebody that wanted to get involved in like uh, making music with synthesizers, like, um, as far as like resources or like, what are your favorite, like beginner, um, pieces of equipment and stuff like that? Sure. Um, something that I find, you know, and it's, it, uh, the, the synthesis and the modular world are definitely more new to me than any of my other kind of audio endeavors, but, you know, in the short time of like, you know, about over a year now that I've really been deep into it, I can say like most modular communities and synthesizer communities on the internet are amazing. I don't know if I've just been really lucky, but you know, there's, there's people out there that literally just want to talk about synthesizers. (laughs) Um, That's awesome. Yeah. So, you know, at least in my experience, I can't, say better things about like most online communities out there you know if you look up things like socal 
synth society. They're like really great people to at first get acquainted with, you know, um, I love even like, even like a perfect circuit demos online are great. I love, I, I watch them all the time before I'm like reviewing if I want to buy a module or not. Um, another thing that's really great is, um, VCV rack. I like literally always talk about VCV rack cause it's amazing. And it's, there's a free version. There's a not free version. Um, and it's like, what I really love about that is like it really forces you to learn the building blocks of synthesis without you even really realizing that that's what's happening Um, you know because it makes you it's basically a virtual euro rack and a euro rack is basically just a regular synthesizer blown up into pieces with all its guts hanging out um (laughs) And they don't, in VCV rack, you know, they don't let you connect an output to an output. So you really quickly learn exactly what to do. If, if you know, if you're interested in modular specifically. And if you're not, it's still a great tool because, like I said, you know, you'll find yourself making a patch and it's like, okay, great, I made a sound. Now how do I control the sound with my keyboard? Uh, you know, and it just it just goes on and on from there, and then you basically kind of under you kind of understand the schematic of a synthesizer right there once you figured out your first patch. Um, it's uh, so I can't I can't like talk highly about that enough because for me that was extremely, uh, you know, foundational as far as like me understanding what was happening when I, you know, was trying not to think about the understanding and just trying to have fun you know yeah 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 i think it's it's just like one of those things that it's it's uh it's it's pretty intimidating you know to sure to just look at this and and try to understand it and it sounds like that program is uh pretty helpful in that um you mentioned earlier that you were getting ready for a show uh what, what show is that that you're about to play yeah, so uh, it's actually Daisy and the Scouts reunion show. Okay. Um, we're doing one show, one night only, <laughs> in Brooklyn, um, March 1st. And, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a celebration. We stopped being a band a really long time ago. Um, and this year is the fifth anniversary of the one album we put out, which is being got re-released. a lot of... Yeah, it's being yeah. re-released through Get Better. Mm-hmm which is sick. We love them. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, we, we decided to do it just like, I, I think a couple of our songs blew up on TikTok or something like that. And, you know, it, it, which is amazing and truly like kind of a phenomena of sorts. Like it just kind of got resurrected this album. And so, yeah, we're gonna, I just kind of, uh, rock honestly like we're just gonna celebrate (laughs) that's awesome i actually um i actually just listened to that album uh for the first time recently and um what's wild to me is like i I really enjoyed it that's not what was wild what's wild to me is (laughs) i was looking at the credits and y'all listed like specifically who wrote um the songs and i was i was sitting there and i was like yeah this is really cool and um, and then this song came on, and I was like, 
I felt like it was so different from the rest of the songs for whatever reason. And I was like, I was like, I hope my buddy wrote this song. And I go to look <laughs> and it was Sweet Sistine. I yeah. was like, that this is the song that my fucking buddy wrote. Like, how did I know that this was going to be the one? I was just like, not looking at the playlist or whatever. I was just listening. Oh, I love that. And yeah, it really like, I really was like, the, the fucking bass part is like locked in and it's got these like real, like kind of like this band, but we were listening to the cure a lot, like vibes for oh my a, God. a good part of that, the song. And, no. Uh, and that's so fucking true too. <laughs> it was no, because at some point we had to decide we were, we were doing a Halloween cover set and we were like, do we do the cure or do we do uh, joy division and uh, new order? And we ended up doing half and half joy division, new order. <laughs> but anyway, so awesome. it's just funny that you said that. Yeah. And I, and I was just like, I was just, I was really excited that you had written what was my favorite song on there. And I was like, Hell yeah. Thank you. And then, yeah, the song took takes like a lot of twists and turns and stuff. It's like really uh, well, uh, well structured and interesting and everything. Um, but yeah, like you said that uh, the album is being re-released by Get Better and then y'all have that show. When is the show? It's March 1st, so it's very, very soon. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think if, I'm trying to think when this will this this will air the day before so yeah um if you're listening cool. to this then go to the show the next day if you if you can uh but yeah um other than that um uh what do you like do you have plans to start like uh recording and and releasing any any music you've been working on or are you are you mainly focused on like uh, getting more engineering work and, and staying busy in, in that respect. Yeah. You know, I, I feel like I am always kind of trying to compile enough stuff to one day release something. It's definitely not a main focus at the moment, but to be honest, I'd really like it to start becoming one. Mm -hmm. um, there's, you know, and, and that's, you know, I, I definitely wanted to focus on getting engineering work done and, all that kind of stuff, especially over the course of this whole pandemic situation, you know, it was, I'm kind of fortunate, like, especially because I mostly do mixing and mastering that I was able to, you know, really kind of uh, pay a lot of attention to that. And, um, but yeah, I'm kind of, uh, I'm kind of in a place where I, I, I miss, you know, especially getting back to do this show has kind of made me realize how much I love playing and, I miss singing too. I haven't, I haven't sung in so long. Um, and it would be really, really kind of emotional for me to get back into it, you know, um, some like singing my own songs outside of like the few times I've done it in the bands I've been, I've been in. Um, yeah, it's been a really long time since I've like connected with that part of my, I guess, musicianship or whatever trying to think if there's anything uh i want to kind of like put out there <laughs> you know keep you know keep keep an eye on me because i'm eventually going to drop some kind of electronic ambient album that's for sure and that was my conversation with auto clamor 
Thank you so much, Otto, for taking the time to chat with me. So I'm sure you've noticed that we have sponsors now. If you'd like to sponsor the podcast for an episode, send me a message on Facebook or now you can follow the podcast on Instagram at Everything Remade. It's been a long time coming, I guess, but as you heard in this episode, I really need to replace some microphones, various cords, my computer and interface setup so I can keep making music which is all I really want to do. As always, thanks for everything. Take care and do good things.